0: This is Steve with Life Worth Living. I have an admission to make to you. Um, There's certain books of the Bible in the Old Testament that I really don't find particularly inspiring or helpful. And these, these books tend to be part of the major and minor prophets oftentimes. And the reason is that these books often just predict a lot of judgment, doom, and gloom. You know, recently I discovered a different way of reading these important books of the Bible. that brings these ancient writings to life and makes them incredibly relevant and useful. What I did was to read the biblical historical account around the time that the prophet wrote his book. And there I found that I gained a lot better perspective on why the author wrote what he did. So today we're going to do exactly that. Instead of reading Isaiah chapters 3 and 4, we're going to look at the story of the king who reigned during the time these chapters were written to understand God's purpose for declaring judgment on Judah. We'll also learn some important lessons about the king's life in order to avoid some of the mistakes and the pitfalls uh, that, that he encountered. So listen in. I think you're going to enjoy this. We're looking at Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. We're in chapters 3 and 4 today. And my point of talking about reading the Bible, if you read the Bible, you can read different ways. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily enjoy reading the minor prophets of the Bible. Those small little books at the end of the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, I don't get them. I struggle with them. It's not a devotional enjoyment to me, but I've learned how to read those books, and I want to show you how you can read those books of the Bible by, by looking at Isaiah 3 and 4 in a different, more interesting way, in a way that you can get something out of those types of books, and here's how you do it. Instead of reading Isaiah 3 and 4 today, we're going to be looking in 2 um, Chronicles 26 and 27 of what was going on and why Isaiah said the things that he said in Isaiah 3 and 4 based on what was going on in Judah at that time. So we're going to read about the king that was in power and what the people of Judah were doing so that you'll know why Isaiah was saying those things. Because honestly, if you start reading some of these prophets and minor prophets, it's a real downer. I mean, t- you're talking negativity, negativity, uh, you know, st- bad stuff is going to happen to you. All the things that we as Christians, you know, well, God's telling me good things are going to happen to me. <laughs> Why am I reading that bad things are going to happen, right? And so we're going to read Isaiah 3 and 4 through the lens of starting in 2 Chronicles 26, a really fun way of studying the Bible. Really interesting. You'll get into it. You'll enjoy it. All right, so second, or excuse me, Isaiah three and four was written during the time of King Jotham, who reigned in in Judah, remembering that Judah was a southern kingdom, Israel was a northern kingdom, they'd been split, um, I think, almost 400 years as of this point in time. All right, so let's read, and first, you can't understand somebody until you understand their background. Get it? You can't understand Where, why do they do what they do? Well, you don't know what they went through. (laughs) You don't know what they went through. That's why they do some of the things that they do. Now that doesn't justify what we do, but it helps you understand why people do what they do. All right. And so we're going to read a little bit about King Jotham's background, namely his dad, King Uzziah. We're going to start in second Chronicles chapter 26 In the middle of verse 15. How's that for uh, splitting a hair? All right. Uh, Here we go. His dad, King Uzziah, his fame spread far and wide. How would you like for your parents to be famous? No thanks, right, Jessica? (laughs) I'm with you. I don't want my parents to be famous. I don't want to be famous. Fame, we were talking about it in the car the other day. Fame is a miserable, miserable way of living. But his dad was famous, and his fame spread far and wide outside of the borders of Judah, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Here's little Prince Jotham watching his dad be famous, be powerful, and then something happened to his dad that was bad, really bad, and it affected Jotham for all his life in a good way, as you will see. Here's what happened. He became powerful. Verse 16 in 2 Chronicles 20, it says, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. The Bible says that uh, uh, pride... Yeah, pride, pride comes before destruction. You can know one thing for sure. If you're prideful, you're headed for a fall. Every single one of us, it's a spiritual law that cannot be broken. If you're going to be prideful, you are headed for bad times, and that's no exception for King Uzziah. He was unfaithful to the Lord, and listen to the weird thing that he did. This is so bizarre. He's a king who wanted to be a priest. <laughs> really strange because here's what he did he entered into the temple of the lord burning incense on the altar of incense only the priest could do this all right um azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests what is a courageous person they're brave have you ever confronted somebody who you could get into trouble for confronting them Have you ever done that before? It takes courage. You got to be brave. You got to be strong to do this. These 80 courageous priests of the Lord followed the king into the temple. They confronted King Uzziah and said, this is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary. Okay, this dude was, he was in your face. He knew this, this king was doing the wrong thing. He was courageous. Let me tell you what. If you see something that's wrong that's going on, you need to do something about it. Now, you need godly wisdom. Don't be a fool. Don't go get yourself into unnecessary trouble. But if God's stirring something and you see something going on wrong, you need to do something about it. It starts with prayer. Get down on your knees and say, God, I don't. this, this doesn't look right to me. What should I do? What do you want me to do? Well, these priests obviously knew what they did, what they were supposed to do. They said, leave the, the temple, for you've been unfaithful. You've not honored, uh, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. Well, that's what's going to happen. When you start confronting people, you might burn a bridge, and that's okay. <laughs> It's not a, not a big deal. While he was raging at the priests in their presence, uh, in their presence before the incense altar, uh, in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Can you imagine? One thing has seen a supernatural miracle where somebody gets healed. Somebody gets delivered. Some marriage gets put together. Who knows what? Another thing is a miracle that's like Coming from God as punishment right there in front of your eyes. Can you imagine standing and all of a sudden this gooey, nasty, white stuff starts happening on the king's forehead? Leprosy starts breaking out right there in front of them. All right. He saw that leprosy had broken out of his forehead, so they hurried out. And indeed, he himself, the king, was eager to leave. Yeah. You start having something bad happen. Do you get out of the temple because the Lord had afflicted him? King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. Wow. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple. How would you like it if you couldn't come to church ever again? And it wasn't because you were sick. It wasn't because it was because God wouldn't let you come to church anymore. That would be horrible. That's why I think I want to be in church every time I get the opportunity to, because there's plenty of reasons why I couldn't come to church. And guess what? I get to come to church. I don't have to come to church, I get to. Well, old King Uzziah, man, he was banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, Here we go. This is the whole reason why we're talking about it, Isaiah. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. Now, we're going to find out that when he became king, he was 25 years old. This guy was probably doing this stuff, being the palace in charge of the palace, running the country, probably age maybe 21, 22, not very old. Can you imagine Kyle governing the United States at age 21? That would be a scary thing. <laughs> All right? Yeah, it might be a good thing, actually. (laughs) All right, so uh, this is what Jotham, that was his growing up. That's what he experienced, fame and the fall of his dad, and it affected him the rest of his life. The other events of Uzziah from the beginning to the end were recorded by the prophet Isaiah, interestingly enough. All right, now, a lot of folks, I believe... Um, claimed that second, first, Second Chronicles were written by Ezra, if I'm not mistaken. But apparently, Isaiah was writing the history, many of the history of the kings, from which maybe Ezra ended up writing the uh, first second the books of first and second chronicles. All right, so let's jump in now to second chronicles 27. Remember we're studying Isaiah 3 and 4. We haven't even read Isaiah 3 and 4, but we're going to as we read the story of of Jotham. Second Chronicles chapter 27 verse 1. Jotham was 25 years old as I mentioned to you when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. 16 years. Not a super long reign, but not a super short reign either. There's kings who lasted months, they were so evil, they lasted only a few months and they either died or who knows what happened, all right? But not so with Jotham. Jotham. His dad, by the way, had reigned 50, I believe, two years. A long, long reign, long, prosperous reign. Jotham, uh, kind of an average length of reign. His mother's name was Jerusha, if I've said that right. He did listen to this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Isaiah had done. But unlike his father, he did not enter the temple. He learned his lesson. The people, however, continued their corrupt uh, practices. And I want to just pause here. We're going to come back to these verses and look at them a little bit more carefully. But let me pause here and say it mentions the the name of his mother. Isn't that interesting? We don't we know nothing else about her. his mother. We don't know if she was from Judah, she, we don't know if she was a foreigner. We don't know anything, but we know one thing about her. She raised a son who served the Lord. There is nothing more powerful than a mother's prayers in my opinion. Nothing more powerful than a mother's prayers. And in my opinion, when when the Bible names the mother, It says that because the son was godly, that mom was a godly woman. She was a godly woman. When do you start being a godly mother? Before you have kids. (laughs) Start seeking the Lord before you have kids if you're not a mom quite yet. And wait a long time before you become a mom. All right? Don't do it early. Don't do it quickly. All right? Um, Here's the thing. These kings had many wives, sadly. And the king didn't have time for his children. And so often the the children grew up just wild, crazy, rich, privileged lives. But if he had a godly mom, man, it made all the difference of the world. And that mom got to nurture Jotham, got to train him up. The Bible says train up your child in the way that he should go. And when he grows old, he won't depart from it. Why are some of you Christians? (laughs) Because you had a parent... (laughs) That prayed for you and raised you. Now, not all of us. Thank God. God breaks the curse uh, of families that, that that didn't. You didn't get raised in a godly home. God has mercy, grace. He pulls us out of the muck and the mire. But there's also others of us who are raised in godly families, and we're the product of godly parents. Godly parents. Praise God. You know who your real parent is, though. Jesus. God is your real parent. He's your father. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a husband to the widow. <laughs> Praise God. We are not left destitute. We're not left alone. But it says here, the people, however, continued in their corrupt uh, practices, verse 3, Jotham built the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall uh, at the hill of Oph- 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 Othra? Uh, Ophel, I guess. Um, he built towns in the hill country of Judah and forts and towers in the wooded areas. I mean, this guy was, he was ambitious. He was out there making things stronger, making things better. That's what happens. If you give your heart to the Lord, you're going to make things stronger. You're going to make things better. I'm telling you, you you can turn the course of history if you will serve the Lord. Jotham waged war against the king of the Ammonites and conquered them that year. The Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, a thousand cores of wheat, ten thousand cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. This guy was aggressive. He was he was going out and you know he's it, you he have an enemy you go after that. And I mean we're going to talk about that in just a second. He grew powerful. Listen to this. Just like his father Uzziah, he grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. And you know what? He stayed that way. You don't have to fail in life. You can be a success until the last dying breath. Just because other people have failed doesn't mean that you have to fail. And I find a lot of encouragement in that. You know who my exa- My ultimate example is? Jesus. He made it all the way. I'm going to make it all the way as well because I'm his son. The Bible actually says I'm Jesus' brother, <laughs> which is mind boggling. I'm a joint heir with Jesus, but God, my father, he's going to make sure that I stay on the straight and narrow. <laughs> he's going to make sure that I do that. All right. So you walk steadfastly with, uh, with the Lord is God. All the other f- events of Jotham's reign, including his wars, not just one war. How many battles have you had in your life? Have you just had one battle? No. <laughs> We have battle after battle after battle. What does that mean, though? We have victory after victory after victory. Yeah. I used to think I'm going from valley to valley, valley to... No, I'm going from peak to peak. I'm going from glory to glory. Amen? The valleys are just another opportunity for me to win again. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Praise God. So all his wars and other things he did are written in the books of the, of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old. Uh where am I? There we go. All right. He reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. It just reiterates that Jotham rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. And next week we'll read about his son Ahaz, but just remember Ahaz was his son (laughs) and we'll find out if that was a good thing or a bad thing. He succeeded him as king, but let's go back. We're not going to jump into Ahaz quite yet. We're going to look at a couple of these things that are mentioned in this chapter here. The first one is the people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Did you know that you can have a really good president in a really bad country? you can have a really good leader, and it doesn't necessarily translate into the country. You can have a really good dad, a really good mom, and have a horrible family. You can. It doesn't just naturally, automatically happen. There's something that has to happen here. And so here is Jotham, a godly guy, a powerful guy, a successful guy, but the people continued their corrupt practices. What kind of corrupt practices? Hey, Isaiah 3 tells us what kind of corrupt practices. This is why Isaiah 3 was written. Let's read some excerpts or some some pieces of Isaiah 3. Well, first, I'm sorry, let me back up. 2 Kings 15, jumped ahead of myself. The book of Kings, first and second Kings, and the book of First and Second Chronicles often tell similar points in history, similar stories, but from different perspectives. They were written by two different authors. And so there's some information about Jotham back in 2 Kings 15 that is a lot shorter account, but it also gives some perspective, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gives perspective on Jesus' life. So does 1st, 2nd Kings as well as 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So let's look, before we get into Isaiah 3, 2nd Kings 15, verse 34, uh, it says, uh, the the author of Kings says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, Jotham did, just as his father Uzziah had done. But listen to this, what were the corrupt practices that we're talking about? The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. God had told the Israelites... And, and the, the people of Judah only worship me in my temple. So what was the big deal about worshiping God on a high place? Well, the high places were where were pagan practices took place, horrible things, male shrine prostitution, all kinds of horrible, horrific people. It, when things got bad enough, they'd actually offer their own children as sacrifices. Terrible, terrible things. The people of Judah were were. Worshiping other gods on these high places, sometimes even intermingling the worship of God Almighty with pagan practices, which is a terrible thing as well. All right. These were some of the corrupt practices that that happened. What I've found, what I, I see in society is as people get farther and farther away from God, they start literally worshiping other gods, uh, materialism, uh, hedonism, all kinds of stuff. And it really deviates into worship of Satan. I mean, there's all kinds of, of varieties uh, of worship of Satan. And so um, I could tell you some stories. I'm not going to because we have mixed company here. All right. But um, wh- here's what happens. When you start seeing a society that's that's starting to get into spiritism and starting to get into all of these, these the Eastern religions and whatnot, it translates into hedonistic behavior. You know what hedonistic behavior is? It's where you're doing whatever feels whatever feels right. You're doing this because it feels good, and doing that, you get on drugs, you're, in alcohol, you're, you're sexually promiscuous, you get kinky, you do all kinds of stuff because it feels good. And here's what we find in Isaiah three of what was going on. Isaiah three, and I'm just going to point out some verses. In verse eight. Jerusalem staggers, Judah falls, their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence, out on those high places, offering sacrifices to other gods. Verse 9, the look on their faces testifies against them, they parade their sin like Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to them, they have brought disaster upon themselves. This was with a godly king this stuff was going on. They parade their sin like Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that not what we're doing here in the United States right now? Parading our sin? Terrible stuff going on? I'll tell you what, we can name it off, and we probably should name it off. Promiscuous heterosexually, accepting homosexuality, accepting bisexuality, accepting all of these things that the Bible and God Almighty clearly says is wrong. It's wrong. We don't, we shouldn't be parading our sins. We should be repenting of our sins. Repenting of our sins. Verse 15. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Have you ever, man, that's very picturesque, taking somebody's face and grinding it in the gravel. They were doing that with the impoverished people of Judah. There's very an elitist society apparently going on there. The very rich and the very poor, and the very poor had it. Didn't have any opportunities in life. Um, In verse 16, the Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along and swaying hips with ornaments jingling around their ankles. Man, I tell you what, (laughs) Isaiah laid laid it on the line and said, This is what's actually going on in Judah right now. You might have a godly king, but things aren't really going very well, societally speaking. Remember the message of our me- of sermon is don't be a good person who leaves a weak legacy. And unfortunately, Jotham was well on his road to being a godly person but leaving an extremely weak legacy. Here's another thing. Jotham waged war against the king of the Ammonites and conquered them. So let's switch a little on the negative side here. Let's switch over to the positive side a little bit. Let me say tell you this. When Jotham found out who his enemy was, he attacked his enemy he attacked his enemy. And I want you to think about your spiritual enemies, your spiritual enemy. You know what your spiritual enemy is? It's fear and worry. It's anxiety. It's panic attacks. It's depression. It's bipolar disorder. It's it's paranoia. That's your enemy. And you know what you need to do to your enemy? You need to attack your enemy. The Ammonites we a, a, a country that had a name, the Ammonites. You know what you need to do is get on in on your, your your mirror in the morning and write your enemy's name right there in, in some ink that you can clean off. I don't know what you call that. Dry erase, all right. Write your enemy's name and say, I am coming after you in the name of Jesus Almighty. I'm going to take you down and you're no longer going to pester me anymore. I don't care if the doctor says it's chemical-related. My God is more powerful than psychological, than chemical, than past, than abuse. My God is stronger than you, enemy, and I'm coming against you in all that you've done. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to destroy all the works of the enemy. All the works of the enemy, including sickness, including mental illness, including... uh, all, you know, things, physical things, spiritual things, emotional things, mental things, all of them. You might have the enemy of busyness. If you can't, here's a dangerous thing. If you don't have time to think, you have made yourself too busy. It's good for us to be busy. We don't want to be lazy. But you can also go on the other side of the spectrum and be so ridiculously busy, you don't have time for God. You don't have time to think. God wants you to have time to think if you're going to think on good things. All right. Addictions, lust, anger, resentment, vanity, selfish ambition, write your enemy there and start attacking him as Jotham did. Greed, materialism, laziness. (laughs) Busyness is bad. Laziness is worse. (laughs) I'm telling you, we need to never be lazy, never let the grass grow under our feet, but do only what God has called you to do, and you'll strike the right balance. In life, I only have just enough time for what God has planned for me and not my all my other plans as well. So listen to God's plan. He knows his plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future. Who has the plans? God has the plans. Now, oftentimes I think, God, what's your plan? Well, I've come to realize it doesn't matter. I don't need to know the whole plan because God knows it. As long as he knows it, I'm good. Just tell me the step that I need to do today, and that's all I need to know. In fact, knowing the whole plan would probably be harmful for the likes of someone like me who's constantly thinking about the future. (laughs) That's my problem. All right, spiritual apathy. These are your enemies. Wage war against your enemies and stop being a victim to it and start being victorious over it. Take the battle to the enemy. Look at this. Man, I'm wondering if I'm going to get through all of this today. Luke 11, verses 21 through 22. Man, this has blessed me so much. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house. What's a strong man? We need to know who this is first. A demonic power. A strong man, a demonic power, guards his house, fully armed, His possessions are safe. What does that mean? He's at peace. He shouldn't be at peace, but nobody's attacking him. He's guarded. Everything's fine. His possessions are his own. His possessions can't get out. Recently, just this week, I believe, they found a house, I think it was in Houston, with 90 people in it, a 2,300-square-foot home with 90 people, all kidnapped, all human trafficking, girls, part of sex trade, the whole nine yards, 90 people, that house was at peace until those police went in and took the house. It's time for us to find where the weak are, where the oppressed are, and we need to take the house. The strong man, he's hes holding that house. His possessions are safe. There's peace. We need to bring uh, terror to that place. We need to bring terror to someone who's oppressed so that they can be set free, not to them, but to that that spiritual power that's binding them for when someone, but listen to this, but when someone stronger than the strong man, stronger than that power, did you know with Jesus, you and Jesus, you're a majority. You have the, what the, the amplified version says, you have the supreme advantage over the enemy. You have Jesus, the the greatest power of the universe, living inside your house. But when someone stronger comes into the strong man's house, man, I'm telling you what, it's time to stop being defensive and start being offensive. Take the battle to where it needs to go. Don't wait for it to come to you so that you're all defensive. No, get aggressive and start praying against the enemy in people's life. But when someone stronger attacks, listen to these three verbs, attacks, overpowers, and takes away the armor that this this demonic power has in which that strong man is trusted, he divides the plunder. That's you and me. We're going in and we're going to make a difference in people's life. What are you supposed to do? You attack. You overpower. In other words, your power is over their power. You overpower that spiritual force in somebody's life And then you take that armor off, that demonic power, amen. You go in and you set that person free. It's just like Jericho. They encircle Jericho with the presence of the Lord. They're encircling it seven days. The number of completeness, man, I'm going to encircle this until God is finished. Amen? The power of God overpowered Jericho. The walls broke down. The armor was stripped off. They went in and two things happened. The treasures of Jericho came into the treasury of the Lord God Almighty. Amen? And then also uh, Rahab, praise God, an ungodly woman who was hungry and thirsty for God, was her and her family came out set free. When you start encircling and laying siege against the enemy. God's power is going to overpower. The armor is going to be stripped off and all the treasure is going to go to God. All the people set free are going to go to God. Similarly, David in 1 Samuel 17, he goes up to the Philistine in verse 45. He says, you come against me with sword and spirit and javelin, but I come against you with one thing, the name of the Lord God Almighty. We need to start praying that way. You know what? In the name of Jesus, I'm praying for my, let's say I'm praying for my, uh, I don't know, my friend, just to keep it uh, uh, civil here. I'm praying for my friend who is struggling with depression right now. I'm praying for my friend. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to start encircling that that depression with the presence of God every day. And you know what It happened in, Jer- in Jericho? Here's what happens when you start praying for something and it seems like, oh, this is going to be impossible. That means that the enemy is already on the defensive. They're already, the enemy is already, when you look and you say, God, how is this ever going to happen? They've already shut the gates as they did in Jericho. There was nothing coming in and nothing going out. That's a signal of victory. When it looks impossible, that's a signal of victory. The enemy is already encircling and and putting on the defense. That means you're in the right position. I'm encircling that depression, Lord God, with the presence of God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to wait, Lord Jesus. I'm going to wait for you to overpower that. It doesn't have to take months. It doesn't have to take years. God can do it in a day or two. In a day or two, you can start seeing results because you're taking the attack to the enemy. Look, David said, I come against you in the name of the Lord, God Almighty, verse 48 of 1 Samuel 17. The Philistine moved closer to attack him. What did David do? He ran at the enemy. That's what you and I have got to do. we got to run at the enemy, take the the battle to him. So he attacked, he slung his his little tiny little useless uh, slingshot. (laughs) That's not what killed a giant. All right. He slung his slingshot. Uh, so he attacked the Philistine. The, the uh, stone hit the, the giant the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face forward to the ground. Now, if you get hit in the forehead so much that a stone hits you and sinks into your forehead, you're going backwards. You know what? God was behind that. Shoved that giant right down on his face before the Lord God Almighty. He overpowered. He overpowered by the power of God. When someone stronger comes and takes over the strong one, you've got it in you if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You've got it. Now, God is saying, use it. Start praying aggressively, mightily, powerfully, unlocking prison doors for people to set them free So that they can be everything that Jesus wants them to be. He he fell face forward. David runs up. I love this goriness of this. I love gore, blood and gore, man. Because that's what happens in the spiritual realm. It's bloody, it's gory, it's ugly. But you know what? It's victorious. David runs up. He stands over the giant. Now we know that he doesn't seem to be more than a teenager. So if he's straddling this nine foot, he's probably doing the splits, looking at this giant, he draws the sword out of its sheath. He disarms the giant. Let me tell you what this tells me. Hey, when we're fighting a battle, it's not over until it's over. If you see a little glimpse of victory, say, "Oh, okay, I can go back to eating ice cream and watching the movie. No, it's not over until it's over. It's not over until that person is totally 100% set free. We've disarmed the enemy. David pulls out the sword, and he cuts the giant's head off. He finalizes the victory. We, as Christians, we need to realize, oftentimes we just look for a little sign of, oh, they seem like they're better. I can light. No, no, no. That's when you fire your prayer up even more. Amen. That's when you start feeding the word even more to that person. That's when you disciple them even stronger, all right? And so Jotham was this kind of guy, man. James 4.7, listen to this. This This is transformational. I've gotten this just in the last few weeks. This is hot off the press for me. Submit yourselves to the Lord. Resist the devil. Now, listen to this, all right? Don't resist the thought. Don't resist the temptation. Resist the devil. (laughs) Do you get that? If if you're tempted to, whatever, relapse into drugs, don't don't try to resist the desire because it's just going to get stronger. (laughs) If, If you have negative thoughts and they're coming and you're trying to resist the negative thoughts, you're not going to win that battle ever. Even as a Christian, you won't win it. You resist the source of the temptation. You say, in the name of Jesus, tempter, get away from me. And he will take his works with him and he will run off. He'll leave you. In minutes, he will leave you. In seconds, he will leave you. Resist. Don't resist the temptation. Resist the tempter. Do you get that? Try that out this week when you have a negative thought. say, I resist the enemy in the name of Jesus who's bringing this negative thought to me. I resist the enemy who's trying to bring this depression on me. I resist the enemy who's trying to bring this sickness on me. I resist him in the name of Jesus. You are going to see his results and probably immediately. look at that's and, and you think, well, Stevie just made that up or that's good one good verse. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't fight the devil head on on what the devil was telling him the, those 40 days. He told Satan, get, get away, you know? And he would speak the word of God to the enemy. And Jesus won those battles, right? One right after another, sequentially. Praise God. All right, so here's the next concept that we get. I, again, I don't... Wow, we got a long ways to go. Um, don't worry, I won't say it all. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord, all right? In and, 2 and, um, Chronicles 26, going back to his father Uzziah, it said Uzziah's fame spread because he was greatly helped until he became powerful, and then his pride led to a downfall. You know what? Um, Jotham was a smart guy. He learned from other people's mistakes. You don't have to make all the mistakes in order to learn. Um, there's this <laughs> really great book. I'm struggling to remember where it's. It's Rework, Rework. So, secular book, business book. Um, but the uh, there's this really, really great productivity software called Basecamp. But um, the the authors of the book who started this this company, Basecamp, um, they make this point. They say this, this whole, you know, rite of passage thing that as an entrepreneur... You have to make all these mistakes in order to reach success. He says, foolish. These authors say it's foolish. You don't learn from other people's mistakes and don't keep making the same mistakes everybody else makes. You and I can do and should do the same thing. The same thing. Man, it's learn from other people's mistakes and don't make them yourself. And that's exactly what Jotham did. All right, just and, and I'll say this, just because someone else fails doesn't mean that you need to fail. I'll tell you what, man, I I used to think, and I've mentioned this several times, I used to think, I'm gonna end up divorced. <laughs> it's gonna happen to me. I'm gonna something's gonna happen. I'm gonna lose my wife. And because and the reason why that was coming into my mind was I saw so many other people getting divorced. I thought, it's just inevitable. <laughs> it's just going to happen. And and I remember, never forget the day when the Holy Spirit whispered in my heart and said, you're never going to lose your wife. You're never going to lose your wife. And I've had several things like that where the enemy says, hey, this is going to happen to you, and God comes over here, overpowers the thought and says, no, it's not going to happen. And, you know, at that point, it's up to you. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? All right. Um, but let's, let's go back to this thought that Jotham became powerful because he walked steadfastly with the Lord his God. Second Timothy 1, 7, a verse that we probably quote to ourselves a lot, think about, believe, powerful verse. It says, for the Spirit of God gave us, uh, does not give us a, a mind or, or does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And I, I don't even like that version. The, uh, for, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He's given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. He's, he's given us power, all right? If you walk with God, you will have a, the spirit of God, a spirit of power. So if you are walking for weeks at a time, very weak and frail, and, and, you know, timid and whatnot, I don't think you're walking with the Lord. Walk with God and you're going to have a spirit of power and of authority, amen? So he walked steadfastly, therefore he had the power of God. In Ephesians 19, one that I love to quote as well, God's incomparably great power is for who? It's for those who believe. It's for those who believe. All right, I think this is a good breaking point. I wish I could keep on, but man... We're going to get really tired. So we're going to stop right there. All right, we're going to give a, a few minutes for prayer. And I'm going to have, who did I have, Brother Jimmy and last week? All right, Sister Shelly and Jesse. They're going to be up here in case you want to be prayed for, all right? And we're going to wait on the Spirit a few minutes to see what he wants us to do. And I want to say this, if you, if you want this power that I'm talking about, <laughs> If you want what God, everything that God has for you, you need the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. You need the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. And I wanna give opportunity for that. If you haven't asked Jesus in your heart, you can do that right now. You can. All you have to do is open the door of your heart. The Bible says that Jesus is knocking. He's knocking at your heart. You know how many times I've done this, by the way? Not once, not twice. Hundreds of times I've said, Jesus, come into my heart. <laughs> because I there's other doors in my life that I haven't opened to him, other rooms that I haven't made available to him. And so if you want to ask Jesus in your heart yet again, and maybe into a deeper recess of your heart, this is your opportunity to do it right now. All you have to do is ask. Talk to him. You don't even have to talk to him out loud. You can talk to him in your mind. He hears you. Say, Jesus, come into my heart, deeper into my heart. I want want more of you, Jesus, in my life right now.